Hi, I'm Pete Seligman. Welcome to the Next Step Podcast. In this season, we're going to be focusing on search, search funds, entrepreneurship through acquisition, and all things related to that community and that ecosystem, particularly focusing on how can we build the marketplace in Australia and start to encourage more searchers to come to market and get to the point where they can own, operate their own business. On this episode of the Next Step Podcast, we speak to Alex Simmons. Alex is the founder of Voyage Equity, Australia's first traditional search fund launched in early 2019. Prior to launching that fund, Alex was a management consultant with Partners in Performance here in Sydney, and prior to that, an investment manager with Best Port Ventures in the UK. So he's had some interesting experience across management consulting and also private equity. In this episode, we get Alex's perspective on the search phase as he prepares to complete his acquisition in the coming weeks. So it's been a successful search. It's been a relatively long search. He's used the full runway to get to his acquisition. But I think what we'll hear in this conversation is the way in which he's used a steady approach to ensuring that he doesn't just buy any business, he buys a good business. And I think that that's one of the really important points about the search model. The whole point of the funded search is to ensure that there is sufficient runway to execute a good search and acquire a good business. So Alex gives us the highs and the lows, some of the challenges, um, and also talks through what are some of the attributes that he believes he brought to the search process and therefore what others might need to think about if they're considering search for themselves. So I hope you enjoy it. Good morning, Alex. Thanks very much for joining us on this episode of The Next Step. It's good to have you here. How's your day going so far? Thanks, Pete. Yeah, look, it's uh, been a busy morning and that's not unusual in the world of search funds, but pretty happy so far, yeah. It's amazing sometimes how many different points across the globe you can touch in a six-hour period. Yeah, as I said to you just before we started, I think I've spoken to six people in five different time zones already and it's not lunchtime yet. One of the things that like I've really, and I've only been kind of swimming around in it for the last probably 12 months in a real way, it's amazing how quickly you can connect with people in a range of other markets and you mentioned search and small business acquisition and all this kind of thing. And suddenly there's a connection there and the conversation just takes off from that point. And everyone's really kind of open to have those conversations. It's a pretty kind of open community, regardless of which jurisdiction you go into. You found a similar kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, the first to raise the traditional fund in the Australian market. And, um, you know, hence a lot of my search investigation and, and considering whether it was right for me happened, you know, speaking to international people in Europe and South America, these kind of places, US. And today, you know, having international investors, I get to sort of hear on the grapevine the kind of things that are happening elsewhere. You know, there's an acquisition that was similar to the one you're looking at in Spain, or I'll speak to these guys in, in, in the US because, you know, they've got a good view on this market. And that's been really helpful because, you know, the more viewpoints you can get, I think the, you know, the, the more likely you are to, to make a good decision yourself. Yeah. And also, it's interesting how much goes cross-border. So how many principles that you might have in one market that are actually transferable and translatable to other markets. So like you were saying, if there's a similar type of acquisition in the UK or the US, there are actually lots of learnings that you can get across those jurisdictions. Yeah. It's funny, actually, what doesn't transfer as well. I mean, that's one of the funny things that, you know, in terms of direct sourcing of opportunities with business owners. A lot of the things that might work in the US don't work in Germany, they don't work in Australia. And so you do have to find your own way. But but like you say, there are some problems that pretty much have been solved already. 
it's probably the cultural things that makes the biggest difference, I'd imagine. Yeah. Like business exactly culture right. in different markets yeah. means that your approach needs to slightly change depending on on which market you're addressing. Yeah, I think I remember the, there was a guy who's got in touch with me. He was raising in Japan. His first search fund in Japan. And um, culturally very different. You know, the whole family legacy piece. India is similar. I think it's very difficult to sell businesses in India. Yeah, which you don't necessarily appreciate, you know, when everyone's coming from the US perspective of very transactional. Yeah, yeah. Probably much more open to those conversations. So we kind of almost got into it just then. But before we get (laughs) any further into it, can you just give us a little bit of a background on kind of where you came from and then how you got first involved in search? Like what really took you to that point where you decided, you know, this is going to be the right thing for me? Yeah, sure. I mean, it may not have escaped to notice that I am British. What's he doing on an Australian search podcast? I discovered search, learned of it at business school. I went to INSEAD. They have for a long time run you know, search program and you know, Timothy Bovard, who runs the search fund accelerator in the US, he was ex out and he taught the course, you know, when I was there. And I'd always spent the early part of my career in small end of private equity in the UK. I'd always thought of myself as rather being the owner in, in, in a football analogy, sitting in the stand and hiring the manager and buying new players. So I saw myself as in the dugout on the pitch, mm. you know, close to the action and, and private equity didn't give me that. And hence wanting to do something entrepreneurial and, and operate my own business. But I always saw myself as not the kind of blue sky founder, but more of the detailed doer, half of the founding pair, which is a, a tricky spot to be in, right? Mm. It's like, it's like I'm not the ideas guy. I, I'll help you get it done. But if you don't have a partner, you're stuck. So the search model really appealed because it's there's a ready-made business that you can come and manage and, and grow yourself. And, and half of the problem is solved to an extent. So, you know, left INSEAD, moved to Australia, just took a job here and then kind of put two and two together and thought, hey, I could do a search fund in this market, which is relatively new to search and and that presents its own challenges. But I felt it was worth a shot. And here I am three years later, still at it. And, you know, it's been a journey. It's wonderful to see how search has developed in Australia over that time. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the questions that I was going to have for you later in the conversation, but it might work well here, is what do you think, based on your experience so far, made search a good fit for you or made you a good fit for search? What was it about kind of what you were bringing to that that made you a good fit for that kind of approach? Yeah, I mean, I think as well, when we talk about search, you know, we focus a lot and a lot of these type of conversations focus on the search phase. Mm. And really why we're doing it is for the operating phase, mm. right, which is, you know, much longer and, and, and much different. And people had always said to me, you know, this felt I, I'd be good in running smaller businesses and I've always being a builder, a coach type person, but willing to get stuck in and do things myself. I've never liked big corporate environments. I'm fairly unmanageable in that respect, I think. And it's not unusual uh, for many of our search peers, <laughs> yes. to be honest. I hear you. Um, so, you know, there was that mixture of coming from the private equity background. I like micro problems in a sort of microeconomic sense. The sort of small business detail things I like being across lots of different aspects of the business, you know, from finance to sales to strategy. So to me, it was you know a great chance to do something entrepreneurial, which I wanted to do, but didn't necessarily have my own outlet for that and, and actually felt well suited to that operating phase. Mm. And the search phase is kind of this necessarily evil in the middle that you need to get through in order to get there. Right? That, yeah. That's what appealed to me. Yeah. yeah. And so if like, and ultimately then the question that comes to anyone that's listening here that might be thinking about doing a search, like what are the sorts of things that you think it would be important for those people to ask themselves if they're thinking 
like search might be right for me, what do I need to check about myself to make sure that actually I'm heading down the right path? Uh, I mean, obviously, if you talk to people and get their opinions, and that's the only way that you shine a spotlight on what this is actually like. I, I think in terms of asking yourself, it's I think you need the right risk appetite. And that probably means two things. It means the absolute risk appetite, but also the timing is correct. You know, if you just bought a house or just had a first child or something, and maybe that's not the time you want to be maximizing your risk appetite. For me, I've done a couple of years in consulting, paid off my MBA debts and was pretty free and clear of everything. So I was like, this is probably the time to do it. And, and with that in mind, I remember one of my now investors at that time I'd approached, you know, when I was fundraising, they said to me, like, you've got to be all in and there is no plan B. You know, it, it's, it's succeed or fail. And that's basically it. And you need mm-hmm. to be comfortable every day. And it gets easier as you go through your search. You need to be comfortable every day that there is this kind of sorted down the cleaves that hangs over you that you might not find the acquisition. And it's better to find no acquisition than a bad one. And these sorts of considerations. So I think risk appetite is one. I think you've got to be also be willing to have the flexibility to do what's required, you know, with the business. And maybe that means moving somewhere with your family. Maybe that means working in an industry that you perhaps didn't have your heart set on. At the same time, I think it's important to, within search, to set boundaries because otherwise it becomes an impossible problem of you've got unlimited degrees of freedom, which is very hard. Mm. So one helpful thing it's not really answering your question. I'm sorry, Pete, but you can. It came you can as tell a good thought. <laughs> it, yeah, one, one good thought that just yeah. came up is, yeah. uh, you know, one investor, another investor that I have said, look, you know, your investors are backing you as much as mm-hmm. they are finding an acquisition, and we really want you to be in a business and in an industry that you get out of bed on a wet Monday morning and you want to run that business. You know, and so for me, it was kind of like, well, I know from my PE days that uh, funerals businesses are are great businesses, but do I actually want to run one? And there's nothing wrong with the industry Mm. and it's everything, a total reflection on my inadequacies as a person, but I don't want to do that. Mm. So I'm not going to look there. And, uh, you know, it's a good decision, right? Because you've saved yourself time in it. So I think to kind of come back to your question, it's really important to identify as much as what you don't want to do as what you do want to do. Yeah, I was speaking to um, a searcher last week and they had a few different options in front of them and one of the conversations we were having is really projecting themselves into the role. Like imagine that you're actually sitting in that business and running that business and working with that team and then, you know, you go to the cocktail party or the barbecue on the weekend and you're then having that conversation about what you spent your week doing. It's not like you need to have this inherent, you know, passion for it and you've always dreamt of being in that business for your entire career and all this it doesn't need to be as utopian as that but you do need to have at least some energy for what you're doing it definitely can't (laughs) feel too much like a chore because like you said there's a fair bit of risk involved that you need to have an appetite for and there's no plan a plan b it's like you know you've burnt the boats and you're all in so and the fundamental kind of terminology from the US around entrepreneurship through acquisition, that it is an entrepreneurial endeavor, right? Like there is a certain risk return type equation here that isn't what you would find in a normal corporate career. And so there is a certain amount of risk that you're taking on. So you've got to make sure that in, in response, you've, you're comfortable with the direction that you're heading and you're going to at least enjoy yourself along the way by being in something that, that resonates with you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You've got to be comfortable with your all in and to extend that you're committing it is a marriage you're committing to one thing and you Mm. kind of need to be comfortable that you're happy with that decision yeah yeah and so you're now 
on the cusp of coming to the end of your search phase in a good, in a good way. way. In a good way, <laughs> yeah, in a good way. And for all those people listening, stay tuned. But so that means that you've now kind of experienced the arc, for want of a better term, of that search phase. Like I know that we're not going to be sitting here for three hours in this conversation and I know that there'd be a lot of stories to tell, but if you were to kind of distill that arc into some of some key takeouts that you've got that might help to reflect what that search journey looks like for people that are thinking about kind of jumping in. What are the kind of key takeouts that you've had, good, bad, and ugly from the search phase? And how would you talk to people considering it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard both in doing it and describing it, to be quite frank, but a bit like the five stages of grief, I think. <laughs> so what I struggled with early on, I mean, early on, there's a lot of enthusiasm. You've raised a search fund or you're getting into self-funded search. There's a lot of new things to do, like go and speak to brokers and you know go and see what deals are out there and, and get your system set up. So there's a lot of, you can be very busy early on. I mean, the key thing looking back is, is the most important thing, in my opinion, is for you as in the searcher to quickly as possible look at stuff to sharpen your saw, as it were, to, to, to get a feeling for what good looks like. Mm. Now, I had you know time in private equity in the UK. What surprised me? say 12 months into my search was I looked back at things I looked at uh, businesses I looked at six months in and thought, well, I wouldn't look at those again. And mm. they're not bad businesses. It's just the thinking evolves. The You sort of raise the bar continually around what the criteria mean to you and, and what good looks like. And just to spend a little bit more time on there with the, another thought that's popped in my head is yeah. I remember reading um, Tony Shea's biography, the Zappos um, founder. And I think he sold his business and the first business and he got into playing poker. And he said, look, the way you make money in poker is not by being good at poker and clearly you need to be decent at that, but it's just which table sit down, you know, and who you play with, right? And the, the parallel within search is you, you need to figure out which industry you want to sit down in because more than anything that defines, you know, the outcome, I think. And it took me a long time to appreciate that. Mm. Um you know, the fundraising investors bang on about industry is important. Like, yeah, sure, get it. But actually, you don't get it until you've sort of been through enough and 12 months. Like, okay, yeah, now I understand. Yeah. So I, I think that was a learning curve that it takes time to do that. I don't see a shortcut to do that. I mean, I think you can probably shorten that. But I think then after that, it becomes, I think the most difficult point was probably that point. It's like, well, I know what good looks like, but I don't really know where to look now. And so then giving yourself some constraints, however artificial start to make sense you know i only want to look at businesses starting with the letter w I mean, it makes no sense but actually it helps you because you can yeah, at least you got something yeah <laughs> yeah well it's interesting um, i think one of the things that some searches bring which you did was some experience in in that private equity space so you kind of have had that experience of looking at a few different potential acquisitions and then trying to develop that pattern recognition for what good looks like there'd be plenty of searches out there who might feel really comfortable in the operating phase but have no idea what that search part looks like and so it's good to hear that even for you bringing some of that experience to the starting line you needed still time and to be comfortable with the time to develop what that kind of pattern recognition looks like. So people shouldn't get kind of nervous about, you know, being a couple of months in and still not having refined that lens. Like that's all part of the process and you need to be comfortable sitting in that part of that process. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and trust the process and don't substitute the need to show results for them, confuse that with the need to actually 
succeed, which is like the buying of a good business, right? So, you know, you still need to be looking at stuff, but you know, very quickly you'll develop your skill to start to look more at the right stuff. And look, there's always this time pressure. And I, like, I suppose you've had chats with self-funded guys and girls who it is a bit different, but even with the runway, you're conscious of time pressure. And, and I didn't get my first LOI signed until more than 18 months into my search. Mm. So it's not over, you know, it's kind of, you just got to, it's better to get it right than to, to get it wrong. Lots. Yeah. And I guess in that sense, it's also, I always love a few different analogies, but a marathon analogy is probably not a bad one here, right? Like when you get started, you've got all this adrenaline from the start line and you feel yeah. you feel energized, you know, the first 10K is a walk in the park, everything's all set up. But then that middle section is probably quite tough because literally it's just a matter of grinding it out, right? Like you've just got to keep going one foot in front of the other. It's, you know, I've said more like the Shawshank Redemption with more tunneling through shit and no redemption, but you can edit that out if you want. <laughs> I like it. No, I like it. <laughs> As you've seen from, you know, your time in the Australian social landscape, there's been a lot of different outcomes and different approaches and, mm. and it's a very personal thing at the same time. I think what's common amongst all of us is that curve of going through and understanding the type of thing that you need to be looking at and how the process works. And, mm. and you know, your experience in month 12 is very different to your experience in month one. Yeah. And when you first started, you would have had a few kind of expectations around what you were going to find in the marketplace in terms of vendors and kind of vendor response. How much of that do you think was as expected and how much was not as expected? Like, And, and as a result, I guess the ultimate question is, what's your perspective on, let's call it the vendor market in Australia? So the group of current business owners that might be willing to sell, how would you kind of characterize the Australian market from that perspective? I guess interesting. I expected, I mean, first off, you know, one very positive versus somewhere like the US was just the willingness of people to pick up the phone and talk to you. And, you know, response rates to phone calls or emails or what have you, you know, well, well in excess of what you'd see in other geographies. People are generally happy to have a chat. I and mean, that's kind of quite an Aussie thing. Now, the question is, do those lead anywhere most, more, more often? Don't know. It's pretty too small a data set from my own perspective to really have an opinion on that. But I think what is important here is, is probably less transactional, more relationship-based. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's certainly my deal, fingers crossed that you know that mm-hmm. goes ahead. But in others, you know, there's a very long period of time when you know people spend with the owner and sort of cultivating that relationship. Because, you know, put it this way, I think there's a lot of smart people in Australia with capital. If you've got capital to deploy, the logical thing is to go and look for good businesses to go and deploy in, whether you're private equity or trade or otherwise. So they're kind of running that logic forward. It's that all the good stuff has got ready-made buyers lined up. So if you want to get something good, you've got to find something that you need to invest to take the horse to water, as it were. And, you know, that's certainly been the case for, for this opportunity that, that I'm working on. And, and certainly with other searches, that's that's also been the case, I think. You know, if you get into a, a ready-made transaction, that's going to be competitive. Yes. Almost by, almost by definition. Mm. So... You know, I think that's been the focus of my search. And it's been it's been very easy in, in some respects to cultivate those relationships because people are so willing to have a discussion. So that's one thing. I think one, I guess, sort of negative, I suppose, is the depth of the market. You know, a lot of the US investors or people's, you know, US search veterans would talk about, you know, getting really hyper-focused on an industry niche. Like, that's great. You know, if you're doing, you know, knitted socks for spiders or what have you you know that in america that's a huge market right but in australia you know it's it's so much might be five companies whereas in the us there's 50 
that, mm. that you could buy that are a reasonable size, whereas there's five, you're like, well, if I can't buy any of them, I've got to move on. So your ability to go deep in particular niches is much more limited here. And so actually developing relationships with people like experts in industries and river guides is much less relevant because you actually just need to talk to the business owners. If they won't sell to you, you need to move on. Yeah, and you need yeah. to probably be a bit more agile and agnostic around some of those verticals so that then kind of when you define, for example, manufacturing or something like that, it's not manufacturing in this sector with this specialty. It's probably just manufacturing, right? Like, or, you know, the vertical definitions are probably at a, at another a state higher than what you might find in other jurisdictions. Well, exactly. And, and and my view is you sort of need to skip across verticals and, and look at the cream in each bit, yeah. you know, rather than sort of go specifically into deep into one vertical. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I mean, one of the other things that I think people sometimes get nervous about is, am I actually going to be able to find something? And even if I do, how do I make contact with the existing owner? So to hear that, what you found is that there's a general willingness to have at least that initial conversation, as you say, who knows if all those conversations actually lead anywhere, but it's always nice to know that when you're going to knock on a door, at least it'll open and you're not going to be kind of stuck in a situation where there's a whole bunch of locked doors in front of you. I'm tremendously charming as well, though, so yeah, it's like a lot easier. But um, <laughs> um, amazingly yeah. charming from the mother country, you know, with the appropriate act, you know, it all stacks up. <laughs> with, you know, opening the doors, exactly. It's been a breeze, to be honest. I think that's generally the case. I mean, in Australia, everyone takes a very humble kind of approach from a search perspective, and and you know, you sort of state very clearly what you're trying to and either people get it or they don't and if they do then they're willing to have a chat and, and you know my view with this kind of long-term relationship with business owners in mind was that if i can assemble a stable of really high quality businesses and have relationships with those owners that you know eventually something would present itself you know i mean you, you need a, a critical mass for that but it wasn't then saying oh, okay i need to be in regular contact with five thousand people it was you know maybe there's these 10 to 20 that I'm really close with and we know there's a chance in the next two years they're going to they're going to do something yeah and playing that long game is a really powerful thing to do and frankly what it's doing is it's taking advantage in a good way of one of the attributes of search funds right i mean the whole point of the search fund is to provide the additional runway so you don't need to rush through those relationship building processes you know that you've effectively bought the time that's required to build a good relationship with the right business owners, so yeah, I, th I still think you need a you know a, a decent filter on is this worth pursuing because mm. your time is valuable and and you know one of the challenges early on in that saw uh, sharpening phase was uh, you know picked a particular industry that had good volume, lots of stuff to go and look at, but ended up spending too much time speaking to companies that were way too small. Yeah, but that's all part of that that pattern recognition learning, right? And and like you were saying, that that first kind of three to six months is probably. A lot of learning from that point of view and so it's just a matter of really getting out there and speaking to as many business owners as you can so now that you're at this point where you've made it through and you're like hopefully just about to make this transition into operation it's excellent for if you were to look at the australian like stepping back to the australian market as a whole obviously it's a very very young market and whenever i speak to people from offshore and they want to know what's happening in australia we really only have a handful of examples of kind of funds that have been launched let alone kind of made it through the acquisition phase feels to me like we're on the cusp of more and more of that volume coming through you know in the next 12 months there'll be a few acquisitions hopefully it'll come off the back 
in the 2022, we'll probably see some more funds launched. And so we're starting to get a little bit of momentum behind that. What's your view based on the perspective you've got both from international investors, domestic investors, searchers? What is it that the Australian market needs next if you're thinking about it from a market point of view and and how do we continue to grow this market as somewhere that's good for search? I told you earlier I'm a micro guy. <laughs> no, no, no. Think, think macro. Guy. We want to go. <laughs> you know, if I were to look at the Australian search market from an investor's perspective, I think what's yet to be demonstrated, and hopefully, you know, I can contribute to this, and some of the other researchers can contribute to this, and indeed, there've been good self-funded data points now that we can we can point towards, is that you know, can searches here reliably find high-quality businesses of a sufficient size that makes sense, you know, for international investors. I think that's the main challenge at the moment. I mean, beyond that, I think certainly from my perspective, I've seen a huge increase, especially through COVID, actually, of people wanting to explore the idea of doing search in Australia, you know, whether they're here already or doing an MBA overseas and want to come back or if they can get back, you know, you know, those sorts of things. Seen a very large uptick in that. And, and yeah, I think that will translate into sort of more boots on the ground in terms of search funds, be they self-funded or traditional but yeah i, th- I think really that sort of watershed moment is going to be around once we've got three or four decent acquisitions under mm-hmm. the belt from the the, the the funded searchers yeah so i need to get a move on basically but um, <laughs> no pressure yeah, <laughs> yeah just, I know. just the fate of our market rests on your deal no, just it's, not, it's, not, it's a face for radio as well <laughs> <laughs> uh, no no i i completely agree and where i've been speaking to other people about from a market point of view, it's also just a matter of time. I mean, you can't rush some of that stuff, right? And and the the beginning of any market is always going to be a trickle of things before then you get this kind of uptick in momentum. And it definitely feels like in the next couple of years, we'll get a few acquisitions done, a few more searches launched, and then we'll start to really build on that fire. So that's really good. The other thing that I think would be useful to see more of would be local universities um, getting behind the model, I think that in in other markets, the big universities and business schools can have a massive impact because kind of educating people through that process, whether they be kind of later in their career doing an MBA or or you know straight out of university, that's quite powerful. So getting getting a couple of universities under wraps is good. Obviously, things like Wayfinder coming online with kind of institutional money domestically, I think that's good as well. So so yeah, I think when things start to open up next year. Fingers crossed. I think it's a it's a good year for us to start seeing some of that momentum start to build. So, final question to wrap up. This is a leading question for a follow up conversation in about twelve months' time. So, what? <laughs> and you look excited. What do you? What do you think is going to be the focus for you in the first kind of six to twelve months worth of operation? I mean, as you make your way through an acquisition and you get on the other side and then you've, you, you're sitting in the hot seat. And obviously some of it's deal-specific, deal but what do you think is going to be the, the main sort of things that you're going to be focusing on that first six to 12 months? I mean, keeping the wheels on the wagon. And you'll have spoken to other people much further down that path than um, you know, Jack and people that have been in the seat for a while now. But you know, I'm hesitant to kind of say too much around you know having grand plans about doing anything because you know I think it's as much as... You know, learning and 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 being afforded the time and space by the investor group and the board to to learn and and feed that into how you think about the growth potential of whatever you've bought. 
Mm. Yeah, so obviously I've done, done a heap of work on the DD and we're very comfortable with the business and the prospects and the opportunity that exists. But uh, yeah, the, the, the real tactical realization of that opportunity is going to be subject to you know, getting in there. And you know, we've spoken to 10% of the customers, but that's 90% still the big deal, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm um, excited to do that. You know, equally, I'm less worried on the transition side because I you know, do have a very strong relationship with the business owner and you know, have already spoken to several of the key staff. They seem comfortable with the idea of what's going on. You know, if it had been a very much a transaction and, and walk in on one day, it's like, well, by the way, you know, this is you know, mm. this is now the, the the situation. I think that I'd be more apprehensive about, it, but it's more around you know, one making sure there's a clean a clean handover and a clean transition, not upset the apple cart in any way and then secondly how do we then start to shape the first six months start to get those learnings and start to feed that into where we see the, the strategy and the you know the ultimate growth potential of this business right so yeah. um that's a very woolly waffly answer for you no so do you know what i do you know what i love about that answer is that one of the things that i say quite often is that you'll never know as much about a business the day before you bought it to what you learn about it the day after you sit in the scene right and that's exactly kind of what you said which i think is completely valid like you can do a lot of dd from the outside in that gives you comfort around making the acquisition but that's nowhere near enough to actually work out what you're going to do with the business after you've got it and and your comments there around get in the seat, keep the wheels on the wagon and learn for that first six to 12 months is, I think it's it's really, really sensible and it's exactly what people should be doing that are in that process of thinking about getting to the other side of an acquisition. Because you, if you get in there and you rush, I remember, I remember the first acquisition that we did, I had kind of 10 or 15 things that I knew that I wanted to do and I jumped in and like just hammered through the first five and then suddenly realised that I was just going way too fast. Like... Some of them weren't sticking, you know, people were getting frustrated, like, and I hadn't learned the business well enough. I, I I fell in the trap of thinking that due diligence was going to teach me about the business. Whereas I think all due diligence does teaches you whether or not you should buy it, doesn't teach you how to run it. So yeah, no, I think it's a perfect answer. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, we come with a bunch of hypotheses, right? And, and I guess it's then about finding out if they make sense or not. Yeah, absolutely. Well, put a note in your diary for 12 months' time to catch up again and we can reflect on this conversation and see how you're feeling at that point. I have a lot more grey hair at that point, I imagine. That's it. That's it. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Alex. It was great to catch up. And, and I know that there's a bunch of really interesting kind of perspective that you've brought to the conversation there that people will appreciate who are currently thinking about whether or not search might be for them. So thanks very much for your time. Pleasure. Cool. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more, please jump onto LinkedIn and find the group Search and ETA Australasia. You can also send me a direct message and I'd be keen to connect. 